Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. When you think about the things that are so discouraging in our community and world, it's, it's easy to see that human beings are the problem, uh, that, that there's something fundamentally flawed about people, about the human race in general. And it's easy to really kind of come to the conclusion that human beings need an upgrade. You know, that somehow we, we need an upgrade, whatever version human beings that you and I are and the rest of the, the, the seven billion people that inhabit the face of this planet, we need some kind of an upgrade. We need to become better people than we are. Uh, there's a fellow at uh, the Inst- Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. His name is uh, Max Tegmark. Max Tegmark. And he's a, a scientist there. He's a futurist. And he's thinking about the human race's need for an upgrade. He thinks he needs, there needs to be humanity 3.0, the third version of the human race. That's what he wants. And he says that, that you know, humanity 1.0 was its biological origins when we came to be, however that was, according to him. And then humanity 2.0 is when humans began to discover technology. You know, the very elementary forms of technology, whether it was harnessing fire and the wheel all the way up to semiconductors and microchips and and now the beginnings of rudimentary artificial intelligence. And he says that that's where we are today, human beings 2.0. But there's a problem with human beings 2.0. We're still limited. You can't memorize. No human being can memorize all the content and information on Wikipedia. Nobody has the ability to live for a million years. We can't fly into space without a spacecraft. We, we can't handle all the, the physiological and environmental limitations that we have. We, we don't have the ability to make the, the vast expanse of the universe a, a beautiful place to live. It's, it's cold, it's dark, it's radioactive. There's all kinds of things that make it uninhabitable for long durations. And as he talks about this, this Max Tegmark, he says, these are all limitations of human beings and somehow we need, a, we need an upgrade. And so he thinks that if, if we human beings can finally take this artificial intelligence that we're just beginning to discover and merge it with human beings, then you will have a creature that will be unshackled, as he says, from our evolutionary constraints and will be unlimited and our abilities and power as human beings. That would be human beings 3.0. Now, some of you are sitting back and you're just kind of listening quietly and saying, that guy's an idiot. That's, that's crazy talk. He must live in crazy town. That's, that's ridiculous. Why would we want to surrender ourselves to a machine mindset? That would be ridiculous. And yet he's absolutely convinced that this is what we need to solve our problems here on earth. Well, you know what? Jesus would agree with Max Tegmark on one point, and that is that human beings do need an upgrade. We, we are broken people who desperately need to get fixed. And, and Jesus would say, yes, yes, we can't stay the way we are. We definitely need to be changed. But the answer is not human created artificial intelligence 
No, you need a supernatural intelligence. You need a supernatural power. You need a supernatural otherworldly life to come upon you that can change you. You need to be connected with your creator because he has the capacity to help you become all that he meant for you to be when he created you and put you here on this earth. We're talking about a brand new start, somebody brand new, something beyond just you know, living for a million years. <laughs> How about eternity? Uh, something beyond you know, memorizing all the facts in an online encyclopedia. How about having wisdom and knowledge and the knowledge of God? How, how, how about something bigger than just being able to fly through outer space without a spaceship, but, but being able to enter into the very presence of God and be with him for all eternity and enjoy and share his life? We were created for something even bigger than what this scientist from MIT wishes and longs for. Jesus wants us to know that you and I can become part of the kingdom of heaven where God is the ruler, he is the king, and we can part, be part of his kingdom as well. And so what I'd like us to do is turn to the Gospel of John chapter three. This is a very familiar story, familiar passage, and this series of messages that we're going to do for the next several weeks are just talking about how do we raise the sail and, and move with the Spirit. God's moving in our world. God is on the move. His Spirit, His wind is blowing. How do we set our sail and catch that wind and move with Him? The first thing that we can do is, is this whole issue of faith that we hope in Him, that He is our confidence, that we come and believe and rely upon Him. And there's a man who did come to Jesus with these very big fundamental questions about how do I know God and how do I experience life in the fullest? And Jesus' answers to him are absolutely shocking because what Jesus says is it's not about religion. It's not about doing more and more rituals. It's about a rebirth. Human race is so messed up because of sin, because of our brokenness, that we basically need a brand new total restart. It's not just saying, I need to hit the reset button on my computer. It's saying, you need a brand new computer. You need to start all over because that's what God is in the business of doing is giving us a new start in Christ. In John chapter three, beginning in verse one, this is on page 887. I just encourage you to follow along as I begin reading this, this story. In the story, there are two characters. There's Nicodemus, who's a religious leader, and uh, he's a Pharisee. He's one of the leading Bible scholars and teachers in all of Israel. He's also a, a political leader because he's one of the rulers of Israel as well, part of the Supreme Council called the Sanhedrin. And he was one of those 70 leaders that ruled over all of Israel. Nicodemus has heard about Jesus, seen some of Jesus' miracles, probably listened carefully to some of Jesus' teaching, and his heart is pricked by what Jesus has said, and he comes to Jesus by night with some questions. And so what we're going to see here in this chapter is the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. You and I can put ourselves in Nicodemus' shoes. You and I can see ourselves as people who come from a culture that's pretty religious. 
You know, it's about me trying to please God or me trying to earn God's favor, you trying to gain acceptance with God. That's, that's religion. And Nicodemus comes from that perspective and he's got some sincere questions of Jesus because Jesus is challenging that from the very start. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Would you read verses 16 and 17 with me, please? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for helping me with that reading there. In this passage, this famous story, we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. He wants clarification. He wants Jesus to answer some of his deep questions. Perhaps he wants to have time that's uninterrupted by the crowd in speaking with Jesus. Maybe he's afraid of what some of the other religious leaders who are anti-Jesus may think of Nicodemus asking these more serious questions of him, taking Jesus seriously as well. Whatever the motivation for Nicodemus, there he is talking with Jesus at night. And the thing that's so interesting to me is that Nicodemus is an older man. He's a learned man. He has studied the scriptures. He has given his life to studying the Torah, the Old Testament law. And here he comes to Jesus, a man who is not trained, who has not gone to rabbinical school, and yet he calls Jesus rabbi. He recognizes that Jesus, who's many years younger than him, is somebody who is very learned in the scriptures. He understands the scriptures and he knows that this man must be from God and he pays Jesus a compliment. In verse two, he says, Jesus, we know that you would not be able to do the things that you do except that you've come from God because how can a man 
do the miracles that he's doing unless God has, has given him that power, unless he's come from God. So, so I know that you've come from God. He's, he's paying Jesus a compliment right off the bat. That's a great thing that he's saying. He's acknowledging that. Most of the other Pharisees rejected Jesus and refused to pay him such a compliment or to acknowledge that he really was speaking for God. What I find fascinating, though, is that Jesus in verse 3 doesn't even say, well, thank you, Nicodemus. I'm glad you see that. He doesn't say that at all. Instead, what he says is this. Truly, truly, and this is emphatic for this is absolutely certain. Truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What a startling statement that he makes to Nicodemus right off the bat. What a startling statement that he would point to Nicodemus and say, the issue here is not about me, it's about you. Have you been born again? If you're not born again, you will never ever be part of God's kingdom. Right now, you may think you're working for God, that you're worshiping God, that you're serving God, but you're not part of his kingdom unless you're born again unless you have this brand new fresh start. Why does Jesus call, describe entering his kingdom, the need, uh, the, the, the way to enter his kingdom? Why does he, how does he describe it? Why does he describe it as undergoing a birth? Undergoing a birth. Why doesn't he just say, you know, all you need to do is check off the card at church, you know, saying that you've made this, you've prayed this prayer and you, you've walked forward, you've done something, you've given a certain amount of money, you've prayed this, this prayer in some place, you've done this ritual. Why does he say it's like undergoing a new birth? Why does he say that? I think some of it is, is it has to do with the fact that you need and I need a fresh start. Things are so bad in my life, I'm so messed up by sin, I'm so messed up by my fears and anxieties and my guilt and my shame that I desperately need a new beginning. I need to start all over again. I need to start over from scratch. It's not just a rebooting. It's not just a resetting. It's a new beginning, a new life. And that's what birth indicates to us. There's something else going on here. When you were born, did you have anything to do with it other than just kind of showing up? Did you have to do with it? Did you cause it? Did you make it happen? Oh, I didn't either. It's, it's somebody else did it, and, it, and I happened. <laughs> and so did you. Hey, it's just kind of a reminder that, it's a, that this new birth is a gracious thing. It, it's a gift. It, it's not something that you can work for or earn. You, you're not just sitting out there in the cosmos somewhere, I hope I get born, I hope I get born. You, you, there's nothing like that going on. But when your mom and dad came together and you were conceived and you grew, then you were born into this world. You had nothing to do with it. You just were there. Same way, the new birth is something that you and I can't make happen. It's all the work of God. It's something that he graciously makes to occur in your life and mine when we put our trust in Christ. He mentions too that there's no way to enter the kingdom of heaven unless we've been born again. By the way, you may know this, but in the scripture, when it says born again, we automatically think born a second time, and that's correct. That's what that word again means in the original language. But it also has a secondary meaning, and it means born from above. 
The word has a double meaning. And it depends on the context. And I think in some ways Jesus is deliberately choosing a word. Instead of saying born a second time, you know, a couple words that would say that, he says born again and he uses a word that means born from above or born a second time. And I think he's saying that that's really what this birth is all about. It is a second birth, but it's ultimately a birth that comes from above. It has nothing to do with anything here on earth. It's something that God produces in our lives. And so all this makes us understand that the only way that we'll ever experience a true spiritual upgrade, that we'll ever experience an upgrade that God wills and has designed our lives to experience, it depends on whether or not you and I get born again, born from above. It's something that graciously happens. It's a gift. It's not something that we produce and manufacture and will for on our own. And it's something that that truly reminds us that we need a totally, completely new start from scratch because our lives are that bad and that broken by sin. And that's the lot. That's the truth regarding every human being in this world. Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and have God as their king unless they're born again. Now, I don't know about you, but as I'm hearing Jesus describe this, I'm kind of thinking, huh? How does that work? How does it come about? And that's exactly what Nicodemus is saying. Right away, he starts asking questions, and he says, you know, how can a man be born when he's old? He's thinking about himself. You know, I can't climb back inside my mother's womb and get a second birth that way. He's thinking Jesus is referring to that second time being born. I've already been born once. How do you do it all over again? Jesus clarifies in verse five, truly, truly, again, emphatic for this is very certain. You can bank on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. A lot of controversy over the centuries. What does he mean, what does Jesus mean by water and spirit? Some people say, well, you gotta be baptized and you need the spirit to make you born again. Uh, Except that there are times where people don't get, they believe in Jesus, but they don't get to be baptized and they pass away. And so there's just, you can't just say it's baptism. What, What is he referring to there? A lot of us uh, modern people, we say, well, water, you know, the amniotic fluid in the, in the womb, and, you know, there's water when you're born, and all this kind of stuff. Maybe he's talking about physical birth and spiritual birth, and I think that fits. I think that makes sense. A physical birth, you obviously have to have that, but then you need that second birth that's done by the Spirit. I actually want you to think about that one a little further. If you go to... Ezekiel chapter 36 and you start reading around verse 14 or so and you start reading through that passage God is making a promise that when the Messiah comes when Messiah God's king comes to earth when he comes he's going to wash his people He's going to sprinkle them with water and wash them with water and it's symbolic of they're going to be purified and they're going to be cleansed And then he says, not only that, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh and I'm going to put my spirit in you and make you spiritually alive and new people, not corrupted and broken by sin any longer, not hardened by sin and shame and guilt, but I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to make you a new person. I'm going to wash away 
the sins and guilt and shame of your past and I'm going to put my spirit in you and make you brand new. I think what Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, what I'm doing here, this new birth is not that shocking. It's not that surprising. It was promised already. When you come to me, you're washed. That's the born again of of water. The washing, the cleansing that comes when there's new birth. And then I'm sending my spirit and I animate your life. I regenerate you and I make you spiritually alive and you're a brand new person. And that's what happens when a person is born again. Those are the two big things that happen. The past gets dealt with. There's a forgiveness and a cleansing. And there's a new life that comes because God's own spirit takes up residence in you. You share his life. You have his life. And you've experienced his forgiveness. And this is all true because when a person is born again, that's what happens to them. When they're born from above, born that second time, God's Spirit comes into their life and cleanses them and makes them new because the very life of God starts living inside of them. Now, I think what Jesus is trying to say very clearly to you and I is that this whole business of of being born again, of of becoming God's family member, uh, of becoming a part of His kingdom, it's a work that God does through His Spirit. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He gives us that spiritual upgrade that we would never be able to perform in our lives in any way. He does it when we trust in Him. He says very clearly in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, you know, it's, it's very clear that you can't be born in the flesh and somehow gain spiritual life unless God's Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, don't marvel when I say you must be. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. There's no exceptions to this. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. God's spirit is that way in everyone who's born of the spirit. God's on the move. He's blowing in your life and in my life as well when we put our trust in him. And by this time, you gather that Nicodemus is just saying, what? How can these things be? He's just so confused. And Jesus rebukes him and and says, and I think he's doing this politely and respectfully, and I think he's trying to remind Nicodemus that really in all of this, it's, it's, it's about trusting in him and relying on him, and he's showing his credentials to Nicodemus, why he's, why Jesus is trustworthy. You're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? I mean, if you'd read in Ezekiel, if you'd read through the Old Testament, you would know that we desperately needed this new beginning, this new start, this new life. Truly, truly, again, this is so certain you can count on it. I say to you that we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And when he says we have testified and we have seen and we know, I think he's referring to him and his followers. But you, and you might notice this in your English copy of the Bible, there might be a little footnote there that indicates that that you there is not you singular, you Nicodemus, but you all, all you Pharisees, all you religious leaders, all you religious people. You, you hear what I have to say, but you don't welcome it. 
You don't receive it. You don't accept it and make it your very own. But we know what we've seen and experienced. He says, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe it, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus, you need to get this. This is like spirituality 101. This is like basics. You should, you should get this. This is the starting block, the, the first step. You've got to be born again to really enter God's kingdom because human beings need that upgrade. Verse 13, no one ever ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. That is the Son of Man. That's another name for Jesus, the name that he used for himself, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The story that Jesus is referring to here happens and you read about it in uh, numbers in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21. The children of Israel are wandering in the desert. They've been set free from their slavery in Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. And as they're traveling through the desert, they have a situation where there's this almost like a mutiny against God. There's a rebellion against God. The people are complaining, they're griping, they're whining, they're, they want to pack up and travel back to Egypt. They're doing all this kind of stuff. And God wants to punish them in order to get their attention. This behavior is unacceptable, it's wrong. And you need to turn back to me. And what God does is he sends these snakes through the the camp of the Israelites. These venomous snakes. And the people began being bit by these snakes. The snakes would strike them. And folks were, were becoming very sick because of the toxins now in their body. And, and so many people, children, adults, people are, are, are beginning to die because of the, the snake bites, the, the venom that's in their, their system now. And the snakes are just going all over the place biting people. And as the people cry out to God and ask for mercy, God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to, to make a, a bronze replica of the snakes that are slithering on the ground. Just, just fashion it out of, of metal, just do it quickly. And I want you to wrap that bronze snake, attach it to a a pole, kind of like a flagpole. And I want you to hoist that pole up with that bronze snake around the top. And I want you to set it in a prominent place so it's lifted up above all the people and anybody anywhere in the camp could look out and could find that snake. They could see that object on that pole, that snake on the pole. And if they would just look at it, I'll heal them. Now, why, why not just have them pray, God, help me and heal me? Why not just do that? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that work? God certainly can do that, can he? Yeah, he can. But, but why have a pole and why have a snake and, and, and why, why that? I think he's trying to get the people there in Israel as they wandered in the wilderness and were dying from the snake bites. He wants them to realize that there is an act of faith. There's a choice that they have to make. They have, to, they have to do something. It's a, it's a little thing. It's a simple thing. It relies on them trusting that God will do what he says he will do. And that snake, in a sense, is a picture of the judgment of God. And he says, you just need to look at that snake, that sign of my judgment. You just look at that, and I will heal you. I'll just, I'll just completely neutralize the toxins in your body. I'll repair the damage to your nerves and muscles and respiratory system that's occurred because of the venom and you'll be healed if you look 
and believe you will live. Centuries later, Jesus takes that story and he says, you know what? I descended from heaven, but the day is going to come that I will be lifted up. I'll be lifted up on a pole, just like that snake, that bronze snake was lifted up on a pole. And it says in verse 14, verse 15, that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be lifted up too. And he's not talking about lifted up and exalted, lifted up and praised. He's not saying that. He was using terminology that people understood from Roman times that when you got lifted up by the Romans, it meant that they were crucifying you. They were nailing you to the cross and you would hang there naked outside of town and everybody would laugh at you and mock at you and you would gasp and suffocate and suffer an agonizingly slow death and you would do that because the Romans considered you a great criminal. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be lifted up that way. And when I'm lifted up, suffering the judgment of God for your sins, when I'm lifted up, carrying your shame, when I'm lifted up, bearing the burden of your guilt, when I'm doing this for you and every other person in the human race, when I'm lifted up that way, whoever looks at me and believes and trusts in me, they will have eternal life. Eternal life is not just life that lasts forever. That's pretty cool, though. Talk about an upgrade. But it's a quality of life. It's life without regrets. It's life that fully satisfies. It's God's life. It's sharing life with Him. And it begins now. It's not just off in the future. It's when you receive the gift of eternal life, you get it today. And you begin living it today and it lasts forever. Whoever believes in him, whoever trusts and relies in him, the Son of Man, Jesus himself, whoever relies in me, he's saying, they will have the gift of eternal life. They'll receive it. The snake bite of their sin, the snake bite of their shame and guilt, the snake bite of their brokenness and the venom that's in their bodies destroying them, this poison, this death, this sin, it'll be neutralized. They'll be made alive. It's like a new birth. They'll be made whole. It's a new start from scratch. Sharing the life of God because of Jesus Christ. Now, scholars debate, did Jesus say verses 16 and 17, or is this John, the writer of this gospel, recording this account? Is this his summary statement? I honestly am not totally sure. I'm fine either way. But listen to what's said. Probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. Have you ever seen those signs at ball games where people are holding up John 3, 16? Remember Tim Tebow, the college football player? Um, you know, he used to put the black marks under his eyes and he'd write John 3.16 on those. Remember that? And people would say, what's John 3.16? Well, here it is. It's just a, a, a beautiful summary of what Christ was doing there on that cross. You see, God loved the world this way, it says. 
for God so loved the world. When he says the world, he's talking about all human beings, all of us, not just the nice religious people, not just the godly saint-like people, but the rebels, the terrorists, the drug users and addicts and the pimps and the prostitutes and, and us sinners and us pedophiles and us molesters and us wife beaters and husband cheaters and all the wickedness that you and I could possibly imagine, all the gamut of human sin and wickedness, that, that world, all of us. The nice religious people who, who lie and curse under their breath, who wish they could kill people, but they would never do it because they're too nice. All of us. He's saying, Nicodemus, you're part of this group. I know I'm part of this group. I also know you're part of this group. Anybody watching this, you're part of this group. It says God loved the world. How did he love the world? That he gave his only son. He gave a gift. It's something that we don't deserve. It's something that we can't earn. It's something we didn't expect. We didn't go looking for. But he gave his son. He gave his only son. Old King James Version says his only begotten son. And the word there is just simply his unique one-of-a-kind son. That's what the word begotten there means. His unique one-of-a-kind son. He gave that son. For this purpose that whoever, anybody in that world, whoever believes in him, whoever trusts and relies on him, whoever comes and believes, whoever puts their hope and confidence in him, whoever does that, should not perish. There's no way that they're going to be lost for, for eternity. There's no way that they're going to lose their life now. There's no way that they're going to lose what really matters. They're, they're, they'll never be lost. They'll never be utterly ruined. They'll never perish. But instead, they'll have eternal life. Again, life that lasts forever, but life that really satisfies that quality of life that we share Christ's life with us. In 17, we often forget, but we should read. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. If you think that God is waiting to judge you, that, it, that, that hammer's just going to fall on you, and you're waiting for that, and you believe that to what God thinks of you and wants to do, this verse says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but for the purpose that the world through him might be saved. God is not on your back. He is on your side. He's for you, not against you. And you can experience that when you trust in him. Some of you thinking, like I think, I sure hope all those lost people here today are listening to this. Those sinners need to hear it. And they need to repent and they need to believe and they need to get born again. And I just want to say that every religious person, every church attender, anybody who's a member of Littlestown Chapel, anybody who calls the chapel their home, anybody who really has walked with Christ for years, you need this message too. Why? Because we keep on believing. 
We know that we believe and we think about that time that we walked forward or we raised our hand or we prayed with someone or we, we just cried out to God and we remember that moment when we did that or, or maybe it was when we were a little kid or at summer camp or a, a revival meeting. We prayed and we asked Jesus to save us and we really meant it. And you know what? He saved you at that moment. Praise God, he did. But then... <laughs> We kind of forget that and we go through life and think that God will never answer my prayers because I don't give enough. God will never bless me and help me because I don't serve enough. God will never ever really come through and take care of me and do the things that I'm asking him to do. I, I just, I'm not good enough. I need to keep performing. I need to keep working. I need to keep earning God's approval. And if you believe that, you're like Nicodemus because he was all about religion and Jesus was all about you need a rebirth. You need a fresh start. And that's how we live with God. We are new people in Christ. And it's all because of Jesus, what he's done. It's his power. It's his life. It's his spirit coming and living inside of you and me. That's, that's where the power to live for Christ comes from. It's not about working for it. It's about him being with us. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with him. It's not about that, oh, I just need to turn over a new leaf and start over. It's about salvation. It's about getting rescued that we could not save ourselves. And if that's how we began, then that's how we need to keep living. That Christ was lifted up suffering the shame and guilt that we deserve, that we carry, that we're born with. He took that upon himself and died for us so we could be born again when we trust in him, so that we could be made brand new all over again and become his children forever. So I just want to ask, you know, have you trusted Christ? Maybe you're listening to this and you're just thinking, okay, I know, you know, I've been going to church, I've been religious, but have I really put my faith in Jesus and I'm depending on him? And, you know, if you haven't, you need to be honest about that with him because he knows that. He knows whether you have or haven't. And today could be the day that you're saying, God, I want to trust in you. I'm asking you to forgive me, take away my guilt and shame, make me your child. I want to be born again. But if you have been born again and you know that, then look at your life. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it because you've been born again or is it because I'm just trying to earn God's favor? I'm just trying to get God to like me when God already loves you and delights in you because of Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we give thanks to you that we have this great privilege of being in your presence this morning. Thank you for your loving kindness and faithfulness to us and I thank you most of all, Jesus, that you came so that you might be lifted up, so that we might have the opportunity to be born again. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given us what we desperately need. We desperately need a, an upgrade. We do, our bodies are breaking down, we, we struggle with our, our broken relationships, our thinking's not straight and clear. Lord, in many ways, our lives are a mess, and we desperately need you to give an upgrade, not just for our prosperity and good health, but, Lord, we need to be right with you. And I ask that, Lord, you'd help us 
even now to understand this and to believe it, to trust you, that Jesus, you did all the work for us to be forgiven and accepted by God forever. Teach us to trust you and help us do that. I just want to pray all of this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.